Welcome, everyone, to a Baseball America podcast, draft day style, along with J.J. Cooper and a whole mess of food from the Q-Shack. I am John Manuel. J.J., great day at Baseball America. It's a great day anytime there's free Q-Shack, but it's also a great day when it's draft day. And a little break here in the action uh, in between uh, the first round and supplemental rounds, and then rounds two through however many we get through. So we're going to take a little five, opportunity here to thing. podcast. And they'll, they'll try to get through five, but we'll, we'll podcast the first round on the supplemental first round, podcast the first 46 picks. And, J.J., uh, I think this is a really interesting first round of the draft. The first 20 to 23 picks, basically chalk, a lot of names that we expected. Very, I would say no names that jumped up into the top 23 picks that we did not expect to be first-rounders. But after that, a little uh, all-heck breaking loose, a little – it got a little squirrely there for a while, starting with Alan Dykstra at 23, and then really jumping up a notch, I thought, with Carlos Gutierrez at 27 to the Twins and Lonnie, Lonnie Chisenhall at 29 to the Indians. The end of the first round was kind of one surprise after another. Oh, it, there, I think this was one of the more surprising first rounds I can remember in recent years. And like I said, it was especially at the tail end. Now, we said right. coming into this draft – it's actually, I mean, it's surprising, but I guess in some ways it's not, because one of the things that we wrote about, that you wrote about, actually, in the draft lead that we did in our draft preview was, this is a draft, you get about past, like, pick number 10, even, yeah, and you start getting into it where it really depends on what teams think, you know, there's a lot of disagreement on who's the number, you know, the 20th best player in the draft. And right. Because on one guy's board, you know, one team's board, maybe the number 35 guy in the draft on another team's board. There or wasn't a whole, Right, and there wasn't a whole lot of consensus after you got past maybe pick 15 or so, maybe 20. You know, like I said, it, it went kind of according to expectations up to around 20. But then after that, you know, it didn't seem like this year it was really as much a financial you know, decisions. It wasn't assignability issues. It was more, it seemed like, teams saying, no, we like this guy. And exactly. whether we like him, if everyone else doesn't, that's okay. We're going to take him here. The only guy who really is like a signability fall went to the big money team is really Garrett Cole at 28, uh, for me anyway. That's the only obvious one. Let's go over the first round a little bit and just talk about it and, uh, and how it went. Really no surprises in the first four, J.J., Tim Beckham, Pedro Alvarez, Eric Hosmer, Brian Mattis. Any of those picks that stick out for you as maybe a pick that you wouldn't have made? I mean, would you have made the Tim Beckham pick versus Buster Posey at one? Uh, it sounds well, like a big, is that, that actually sounds like a signability that deal. Was, that was him. We want to say signability, although you are talking here, it's really talent, too. I mean, like, right. you, you're not talking. No, you're right. Like, when the Pirates take Daniel Moscos over Matt Wieters, that's signability to me because they're taking a guy who they say, no, he's clearly not as good, but he's cheaper. Which is amazing that, uh, you know, this year's, team president, um, Frank Coonley, came out publicly and said, oh, no, that was a baseball decision. I mean, like, he, which, I mean, he wasn't even around, but he says that the Pirates did that as a baseball decision. If it's a baseball decision, then that's even more egregious. Uh, but but uh, I, I hope it was a signability choice. Well, in the case of Beckham, Beckham Posey, it, you can get a lot of disagreement over which guy you think is the best long-term, you know, right. option. And when those, and that's the case – yeah, Buster Posey, you know, floated up. There's some pretty high numbers floating around there is what he was asking for. Yeah. Then maybe you say, you know what, if we've got these two guys as 1 and 1A, why not go with 1A if 1A is going to cost us, you know, $5 million less? Or Absolutely. What? No, I agree. I agree and That's not really a signability pick as much as it is 
it worked. It was a factor in the decision. It yep, like. that was that was uh, an X factor for sure. But uh, Posey goes fifth to the Giants. That was one we had a real hard time predicting. Jim Callis and Matt Blood arguing about that at four in the morning over who to go with. We ended up going with Smoke at five in our prediction. Ends up going Buster Posey. I think that makes all kinds of sense, JJ. I don't think the Giants could afford to take a first baseman when a catcher with a solid average big league bat, if not better than that, is available. You could take a middle-of-the-diamond player with a potentially average or above-average bat. I think the Giants had to take that. To me, Buster Posey uh, it could move very, very quickly in this organization, and uh, he makes a lot of sense for San Francisco. Especially when you're talking about if you're comparing these two guys, you've got one guy who's considered to have a pretty elite bat, and he plays a premium defensive position. Right. You have another guy who has a pretty premium bat and plays the least premium defensive position. When you've got those, you've got no choices between those two. Yeah, you got it to me. When there's a lot of you know, there are people out there who think there are scouts who think that Posey's bat is basically as good as Smokes. You know, if close. that's the, I wouldn't say as good, but close, very close. Yeah. If that's the case, then you know, yeah, I mean, go with the premium position. I don't think anyone really thinks Buster Posey's ever going to hit for above average power, and I think that's the whole thing. That's the whole deal, really, with with Justin Smoke. Uh, but I really do like. But there's some debate over where. Correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, you've heard more on this than I have, but you know. With smoke, there is a little more debate on that, as far as you know how much you know how safe a bet is he. Yeah, there is some debate. Um, the college switch hitter deal uh, is part of that. He really was not great Written with Team Cape. USA last yeah. summer. He dominated the Cape as a freshman, but really struggled last year with Team USA with Wood and uh, with soft stuff away, which is what he saw all summer. Uh, I still think Justin Smoke though at eleven for Texas is no, a fantastic yeah. value at eleven. And really the, the really first shocker, J.J., let's just talk about the first round in the shocker department. The first shocker was Jason Castro at 10 to Houston. And Houston also, in the, in the supplemental round, took Jace, Jordan Lyles, a right-hander out of a South Carolina high school. To me, uh, Texas, like I don't know uh, their new scouting director. I don't know many people in that organization. But that's just a rough, rough first round and supplemental round. I like Jason Castro. I think it would be a big league regular, but he's a reach at 10. And Jordan Lyles was the seventh-rated player in the state of South Carolina. I just don't think he's a supplemental talent. Well, and this is – I hate to say it, but when you're talking about the Astros, you're not talking about a team who's kind of earned the benefit of the doubt. Correct. You're talking about a team who year after year has shown they go for – you know, they're not going to go above slot. Some A lot of times, like last year basically, I mean, they not only do not go above slot – but they'll just watch their entire draft walk away Correct. over slot, you know, going slot. And you're talking about a team that needs, desperately needs, a pretty massive infusion of talent. That's the kind of team that needs to go out there and say, you know what, we're going to, you know, like the Pirates did, we're going to go out and draft who we think is the best guy, and it doesn't matter what it's going to cost us. And instead what they did is they went out and they've drafted guys who they're going to be able to get at very inexpensive prices for the spot they picked. But probably, you know, I would say in last case you're talking about below slot. These are below slot or at slot uh, picks. There's no doubt about that. There's no way these guys are were drafted, in my mind, they're just on the merits of their talent. And I just think that's the Astros selling themselves short as an organization. Again, they did it last year in the draft. They did it the last few years. And I just think it's a bad time to be an Astros fan. Uh, they're just not. Getting it, in my opinion. 
uh, on the scouting and player development side, and that's unfortunate. I think that all goes back to ownership. Drayton McLean uh, gets the gas face from this observer. Um, it's a Baseball America podcast. I got to say, I love the Nationals getting Aaron Crow at nine. That's a, that is some some kind of coup there if they get him signed. Uh, I, I kind of like Brett Lowry at sixteen for Milwaukee. That's to me. That seemed like it was a good spot for him. Like there have been, you know, talk about a guy who had some helium coming in. Yeah, absolutely. And sometimes with the helium, you got to worry a little, a little bit. Like you know, yes, he's having a great month. He's locked in. But does that change everything? You know, like the evaluation, like that everyone had on him six months ago, coming out of last year, was oh, he's you know, he's a mid, probably second round guy. Yeah, the first two scouts I talked to about him both really, really liked him and thought of him as a supplemental to third rounder. And then all of a sudden, he was uh, doing a workout for the team at number seven in the Reds. I mean, you know, he was in the mix for a single digit pick. So sixteen, like you said, really seems just about right. Even if he's just a third baseman, J.J., and not a catcher, he has value at 16, in my opinion. You could make the case he was the fourth-best high school position player in this draft, and he was basically drafted right around there, although right ahead of him, Aaron Hicks and Ethan Martin, two-way players, both announced as position players, and Aaron Hicks could have gone earlier. I, I, we, we had a, a, under, Our information was the Oakland A's liked him for their 12th pick, but as a pitcher, and he did not want to sign as a pitcher, he wants to hit. Although I'll say this, I also kind of like taking the position, the guys who really are, you know, like 50-50 flip a coin on those oh, yeah, guys. Oh, yeah, 92. Take them as position players because two years from now, I mean, I know Rick Ankiel's shown that, yeah, I guess it can happen, but it's a lot easier to switch, put the bat away, and go to the mound than the other way around. And so if that's the case, you know, to me, yeah, hey, if a guy wants to play, you know, play in the outfield, put Hicks out there. Two years from now, if he's hitting, you know, a buck eighty in absolutely in low A, you go, you know, we think you're still got a lot of chance on the, you know, potential on the mound. I, I, I'm, maybe I'm crazy, but you know, they they let Edwin Jackson pitch and hit in rookie ball. They let James McDonald hit some and then pitch, and he's turning into a prospect as a pitcher. I wouldn't have a problem letting Aaron Hicks, if he signs quickly, get a couple innings here or there, or at least throw a bullpen. You, you got to let him throw some bullpens to keep his arm keep in shape, arm strength, yeah. but let him get a few innings in the Gulf Coast League. And if Aaron Hicks sees, to, sees hey, wait a minute, I'm sawing guys off, I'm dominating with 97 mile an hour stuff like I did in high school, uh, maybe he says, you know, maybe I want to try this pitching thing. I agree with you, uh, but I, I really do hope that teams are a little bit more experimental and give guys uh, who are two way players like that a shot. So uh, to me. Uh, really just seems like uh, those are those are some intriguing picks at 15, 14, 15, 16. David Cooper, I thought a little reach at seventeen, but at the very but this guy can really hit, and uh, your American League club uh, that makes more sense for David Cooper because there's some scouts who think he's really below average defensively at first. So and it's not who I would have taken at seventeen I for just, Toronto, but I can see why they took him. I, he could really hit, and I understand the argument that hey, you can take a first baseman more if you're an AL team because you do have two positions that he can play at. At the same time, you know, to me, you have to, you better be talking about a premium, premium bat to draft a guy in the first round who you but think. But he could be a premium right, bat. And he though, could that's be. The thing. I'm saying, but he better be because if you're drafting a guy who, may, who you're thinking already he's got a decent chance to be a, you know, to be a DH, that's, that's the you're easiest right. position to fill because you've always got guys in the, you should always have guys in the organization who can hit. No, you're right. Uh, absolutely. Uh, it's a Baseball America podcast. I'm John Manuel. He is J.J. Cooper. Um, the the back of the first round, J.J., is really where it got squirrely. 
Christian Friedrich falling all the way to 25 of the Rockies. That was a surprise. But Carlos Gutierrez and Lonnie Chisenhall, 27 and 29, a couple of real surprises. Got a little info on, uh, you know, on, on one of those, obviously. Carlos Gutierrez is the one I'm really was able to talk to a Twins official already. Twins drafted him as a starter. They saw him great. They think the sinker ball, he could be really, they actually said this could be a Tim Hudson kind of guy, a guy who works off the sinker, get the slider up to average, give him over to Rick Knapp, their fine pitching and coordinator, get him to teach a change up, and let's see this guy go. And see that? I mean, that's, and we're talking about a guy who, for a reliever, we're, you know, you, again, you know college ball much more than I do, but from what I've seen of him, you're talking about a guy who's not your come in, throw, you know, get three outs, wander back off, you know, and don't see him again for a right, couple of days. Right, right. No, you're right. He's much more of a rubber arm guy who you can see as far as the arm strength and all, as far as being worked, you know, it shouldn't be as much of an issue to work him up. No, you're right. And I, I really like – I like Carlos Gutierrez. I don't like him at 27 necessarily uh, because I think they could have gotten him later. But the thing is at 31 – uh, Minnesota got Shooter Hunt, a guy that we thought would have maybe gone more likely at 27. So Minnesota, well, I, in my mind, off to a pretty good start with his draft. Hicks, Hunt, Gutierrez, guys they were convicted about. And and you see a lot of times when a team does have multiple picks in the first round, one of the things that that comes out of that is is that you'll often see that a uh, a team will end up drafting a guy, you know, who they have a pre-draft, not a pre-draft deal, I guess, right, but, right. Not, but they've reached an agreement. You know what? The slot for this is this, but we'll pay you this, which you're not going to make nearly that much right. if you go where you're projected to go. And you have to do that almost if you have a draft budget that's not that much significantly more yeah. than when you have just a first-round pick because three picks in the top 31 is going to cost you a lot more than if you just have normally you know, one first-round pick. I agree. No, good points all. Uh, some other interesting uh, – some other picks that really stood out for me, J.J., uh, Alan Dykstra, a San Diego kid, going to the Padres at 23. He's got big-time power. I wonder if the Padres are going to try him out at third base. He's got the arm for it. I don't think he has the agility for it, but it really – him as a first baseman, the Padres taking a college first baseman at 23 with Adrian Gonzalez in the big leagues. Uh, that was a curious one for me, but I love the Padres' supplemental draft pick of Jeff Decker, the Arizona high school kid, and I like Logan Forsyth, a third baseman out of Arkansas, right-handed hitter, uh, very scrappy player who's got solid average tools across the board. Really a lot like an Aaron Hill with the Blue Jays. Maybe not quite Aaron Hill's power potential, uh, but a, a really solid player, a versatile player. Could be a third, second baseman. Solid right-handed college bat. Played great for Team USA last year. And Jeff Decker, to me, is uh, one of the best high school bats in this draft. He's just 5'10", 180. He just doesn't look the part. But the guy is short to the ball, all kinds of power. Uh, he's a classic Grady Fuson pick for me. And if it doesn't work out for him as a hitter, again, you put him on his left-hander, solid average stuff, spins a breaking ball, put him on the mound. At the very least, he could turn into a, a, a bullpen, you know, loogie left-handed reliever. Um, I know we have a lot of Red Sox fans. We have a lot of Yankees fans listening to the podcast. I know we should our, talk about those guys. We should yeah. talk about those guys a little bit. The Yankees do what they, did what the Yankees do. That's right. Which is pretty much every draft, once they figured out, you know, hey, Winning in Tampa, no matter how much the boss wants us to do it, not good. Not that important. Yeah. Winning in Columbus, not that important. Hey, you know what? We can actually use our massive financial advantage to, you know, basically dominate the draft. Once they figure that out, you know, it's been very good for them. Well, they, they have brought their financial resources to bear across every every level: international, and, major league, free agent. 
and keeping their own Garrett players Cole. and now the draft. And that's what Garrett Cole is. Is Garrett Cole, as we said, if there's one player in this draft who slips significantly because of his bonus demands, it'd be Garrett Cole. Yeah, his bonus demands, A. And then, B, there was the mound demeanor, the immature mound demeanor, the lack of maturity, however you want to put it. Uh, this is not a guy who endeared himself to a lot of scouts. And what we hear didn't even endear himself to a lot of teammates. But guess what? You know, a lot of 17-year-olds are immature. A lot of 18-year-olds are immature. What matters is how he is when he's 21, 22 years old yeah, and he's in the major the, league. The player selected one pick after him? Stole from his teammates. <laughs> yes. And his coaches. And he went one pick later. So, I mean, a little mound immaturity is probably, you know, of gr- the two. That's a great uh, little bit of perspective there. But And then the Red Sox did – Pretty much a, a very similar thing. Casey Kelly is going to cost. Hey, we're talking about money. Lonnie Chisholm, by yeah. the way. Well, we're talking about Lonnie Chisholm, now, not Casey Kelly. Who's a, who's a first round talent? I would say, but in my opinion, I wouldn't touch that guy. And I know there's redemption. And hey, Clay Buckholt stole too, and the Red Sox that worked out pretty well for the Red Sox. Uh, he stole computers and stuff when he was in junior college. But for me, I wouldn't touch Lonnie Chisholm. That's just, that's just me. It's uh, that that's it, just me. It, it's it's a it's a riskier pick than the talent would. Indicate. Correct. But he's a left-handed bat, versatile defensively, can hit. Could be an offensive second baseman, could be an offensive third baseman, could be a right fielder. And it's almost and in, and because of everything that happened, the reality is is that there's a chance to get him a year early because Also a good point. If if Lonnie had not gotten into trouble at South Carolina, he'd be finishing up his sophomore season right now and basically he would be one of the top prospects in the 09 draft. No, you're right. Let's talk about the, the Red Sox real quick. You, you already hinted at them. Casey Kelly at 30, Brian Price out of Rice at 45. We definitely heard the Red Sox tied to Brian Price for a lot of this spring, the closer at Rice. Uh, they had some success with Bryce Cox in the minor leagues, another Rice reliever who didn't quite pan out yet, and he's been very inconsistent. Brian Price is very similar, not quite as much of stuff as Bryce Cox. He's been a little steadier in college. He didn't just have three amazing months. He's had a couple of years of up and down. Um, yeah, the Red Sox have uh, tried the college reliever route several times. Craig Hansen and Brian Price hasn't quite worked out. Uh, Brian Price might work out better than Bryce Cox did. Casey Kelly, to me, is just a premium athlete, and I like the Red Sox being the kind of team that can buy him out of his commitment to Tennessee as a football quarterback. And whether he's a shortstop or a pitcher for them, uh, they're the kind of team that can afford to be patient. They have enough talent in their farm system to figure out Casey Kelly. But to me, spend money on athletes, and that's what the Red Sox are going to do with Casey Kelly. Well, the thing that we saw a lot of relievers, a lot of college relievers go, yep. especially basically. All in a row from yeah. 19 to Once 20. Once you got the pick 19. Basically 19 uh, to 21, three in a row with Andrew Kashner to the Cubs. And then we also saw Josh Daniel Schlereth a little later. Yes. Carlos Gutierrez a little later. You know, Price, what we're talking about. I think a big reason for that is is we didn't see the college starters go this year because the reality was is there weren't enough weren't healthy there. college starters. You know, Shepers gets hurt basically, you know, essentially a month, you know. Yeah, you're right. If you, if they find out, out. Everyone finds out a month before the draft, a little yep. less than a month before the draft. Oh, he's not going to, you know, be ready. And Shooter Hunt drops. Shooter Hunt drops because of, you know, concerns. And so there weren't the college starters out there. Well, And, and, people, and teams had not decided – not to reach for a college starter like say, a Tyson smart. Ross, like a Scott Gorgon, uh, a couple guys don't, that we thought could jump up. But don't reach for those guys. And instead, the reality is his teams went out and said, you know where the best arms are out there? They're college relievers. And some of these guys, you know, I know some of these guys are going to move quick, and you'll see them up in the big leagues before long. But the reality also is, is that some of these guys will probably end up, at least a couple of them, 
will, you know, a lot of teams make guys starters in the minors because right. you want to give them the innings, regular innings. And if you do that, one or two or three of these guys who have the arms, we might find out, you know, colleges are not always putting a guy in the back of the pen because of their pro- because, that's where they profile. Because that's <laughs> where they profile. You want a strong arm back there. It may be a case, you know, sometimes it is. Sometimes like Joshua Fields. Right. With his delivery and all, with his build, you don't look at him and say, you know, you could put him out as a starter. He could throw like that for six, seven innings, and you know, and I probably not. You know, I actually think I see why the Mariners would draft a Josh Fields because you put Josh Fields into the role that Brandon Morrow had been filling, and then you move Brandon Morrow into the rotation like they wanted to, like they did in winter ball, and that way you don't feel like you're cheating your big league team by moving Brandon Morrow out of the relief role that he'd been in. Kind of like if the Yankees could draft someone who could step right in to the bullpen to take Jabba Chamberlain's old role, that way they'd feel less guilty about Jabba Chamberlain transitioning into the rotation. Does that make any – I'm trying to think of how the Mariners would think about this. And, and then, again, we, and then with the Mets, uh, you know – The Mets love the Mets to draft. <laughs> the Mets wanted Ryan Perry at 22, and, and the, the Tigers went up and got Ryan Perry instead. And I wouldn't be shocked if you saw Ryan Perry or Andrew Kashner in the big leagues this year, in big leagues bullpens. And they went through Crusetta. They went through Jorman Bizardo. They've turned through some real chaff in the Detroit bullpen this year. And, you know, with all that going on, I think I, if I were Detroit, I'd go ahead and give Ryan Perry a shot at helping my big league team this year. So, so we, we also forgot to talk about one other Yankee pick, and I want to talk about J.J. at 44, Jeremy Bleich. I love this pick for the Yankees. They need left-handed pitching. Jeremy Bleich had first-round talent. He was injured this year, uh, elbow strain. He has come back. He pitched four very good innings. In the regional, he walked some guys. I think he walked five against Arkansas, but it was four scoreless innings. Uh, the Yankees obviously weren't on that. That'll be a nice summer follow, if you ask me, where they just evaluate him. And the Yankees, uh, you know, had an extra pick, and they spent on a, a high-ceiling left-hander, something they really don't have in their farm system. It's the Baseball America podcast. He is J.J. Cooper. I am John Manuel. We are anxiously awaiting rounds two through five, hopefully, to go the rest of the day. Did you let's wrap up with yeah. some other uh, – so, I, I wanted to just talk about the broadcast a little bit. What would you think of the ESPN broadcast today? I, mean, I, I like having the draft on TV, but I'm almost like – it's almost like be careful what you wish for. You might get it. Right now it's really a matter of uh, the draft on TV is a neat TV show, but uh, it, I, I, I think it could – it certainly could be better. I, I, I'd love to see a little more FaceTime for a good old Jim Callis. Obviously, yeah, we're a little biased on that, but, yeah, it – I do think, though, that it was a better broadcast this year than last year, partly because they scaled back. I felt like last year they had a chorus of, you know, 42 experts, and so it was something where trying to proportion out time meant that, okay, now you say something for five seconds. Now you say something for five seconds. This year they kind of scaled it back. They had the the four-man right. podium or table. And kudos to Chris Singleton, who I thought was, was really out, solid. It was outstanding. Yeah. I thought this year what they – another thing they did well was they – Got a little more in depth. They like a little more, you know. We start at the start of it with Steve Phillips explaining the two to eight scouting scale, which that feel was pretty, good. Feel pretty confident. It's one of the first times we've seen the two to eight scouting scale explained on uh, ESPN. And when even you know, as players were taken, there was a little bit of debate on, you know, okay, like taking college relievers. You know, right. Like, you know, there there was debates on the things that were very logical questions coming out of this draft, but they were done in a way, kind of understanding that you know what, if you're watching this. You understand something about baseball, right? Now, the casual, casual fan probably isn't going to sit down and say, "I'm going to spend three hours watching guys who I've never heard of and you know won't hear of again." You have to follow baseball to know who Pedro Alvarez is, 
And the great thing about that is, is they aimed it a little bit more at that. They did. That fan who who knows something about it, that, the that Baseball time, America reader. They, I, I think they really aimed it really to that. It's like, okay, here's a Major League Baseball fan who watches baseball tonight. They pumped it up on baseball tonight, the previous nights. But then they decide, okay, if you're already here, if you're watching this, you do want to go a little bit more in depth. You're ready to make that plunge, and they cater to that kind of reader, but, listener, viewer. I, I appreciated that. And the other things that, you know, just kind of looking at it, like knowing – from time, what we do, time they, to not do the radio interviews over the phone. I mean, the, the right. interviews. Yeah, over I the thought phone. The, the interviews with the players. The reality is, is that there was about one good quote out of you know ten interviews, but the effort that's involved in going out there and getting video of pretty much almost everyone taken in the first round, that's significant. That's not easy when you're talking about you know. I know that they had help probably from you know somewhat from MLB, but stuff like that. Is impressive stuff yeah, like I thought so. You know, and they had a they had a group of ESPN people. You know, Steve Phillips has insight because he's he's gone he, through this. He prepares and he you know Peter we, Gammons, we met with him and he prepared. He read a lot of our Baseball America scouting reports. Uh, Peter Gammon, you know, they they read Baseball America stuff, which is good. Peter and obviously sees these guys in the cave. You know, and Chris Singleton gave a. I gave a very insightful insight. You know, a lot of insightful insight. Yeah, he <laughs> gave some insight. From the player perspective, and it wasn't generic. Well, here's the the, and I will toot our own horns a little bit here. But I, the thing I like about, most about it is everyone on that panel, everyone up there, was either ESPN or an MLB guy in Frank Marcos, and everything having to do with the draft. You got the commissioner Bud Sealy, got ESPN and Major League Baseball, these two behemoths, and squeezed in there was Jim Callis of Baseball America. And you look on all the desks, all the tables there. There were Baseball America magazines, and you look at ESPN, and it's Baseball America rankings or reference in their in their graphics. And JJ, I'll just tell you, that's just uh, that's not because we're anywhere near as big as ESPN or uh, MLB. That's because we earned our place at that table, which I'm very proud of, and that's a high standard we had to live up to. That's what we hope we lived up to in our draft preview coverage coming up to today. Hope we lived up to that today in our coverage and in this podcast. I hope to keep living up to it tonight and tomorrow as the draft continues. We'll wrap up the podcast. Uh, send those emails into us at podcast at baseballamerica.com. We'll probably do a wrap-up draft podcast this weekend. Uh, we'll be in the office Saturday and Sunday, so we'll probably uh, record one of those. I feel like we owe people a regular podcast that's not college-related anyway because we've been a little short on those lately. So for J.J. Cooper, I'm John Manuel. Thanks so much for the download here at baseballamerica.com and iTunes. Until next time, so long, everybody.